This is the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us for this month's podcast. We are in part two of five things Jesus did to multiply the kingdom. I do encourage you, if you've really benefited at all from these podcasts, would you mind leaving a review? That would be so helpful to us. But then also, if you would, to share this with other people. We just want to help as many leaders as we can, and it would mean a lot to me if you would take the time to share this with people that you think it may be a benefit. Last month, if you haven't heard last month's podcast, I'd encourage you to stop and go back and listen to it first. But last month, we covered two of the five things that Jesus did to multiply the kingdom. I'll just take literally just a few minutes and and reiterate. We talked about if we want to expect to multiply the kingdom, we can't violate the, the, the leadership, if you will, and the practices of Jesus, the methods of Jesus. And so we're looking at five foundational things that he practiced that if we don't, we won't be multipliers. Referring back to something John Maxwell said, Effort must be stored up before it shows up. Effort must be stored up before it shows up. Maxwell said there's a compounding impact of obedience when you follow Jesus, that it ultimately creates a multiplier. Last month, we talked first about simply this. What did Jesus do first? Secondly, how Jesus invested, not spent, invested his time and his influence. And again, I would encourage you to go back and listen to last month's podcast if you haven't, because each of these carry with them some process questions that will be of great benefit to you. So here's the third one that I want to get to today. Why did Jesus invest his time and influence? We talked about how he did last month, but here's the question. Why did he do it? Why did he choose to invest time and influence with people? Now, here's the first reason. So he could spend time with them. In Mark 3, 14, it said he ordained the 12, listen, so that they should be with him. You cannot develop people from a distance. You cannot care for people from a distance. And here's one of the greatest challenges of pastoring. Why well, I want to care for the flock. But are we going to care for the flock with practices that model the great shepherd or the chief shepherd? Or are we, as the under-shepherd of the great shepherd, going to develop our own practices and say his don't work? Jesus spent time narrowly with people, and he narrowed that group of people he would spend with. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about that in this month's podcast. But he invested his time and influence, but there was a why to it. Remember, without the why, the price is always too high. Why did he do it? So they could be with him. If people are not able to be with the leader, they will not be discipled well. You cannot, cannot, cannot learn everything off of a, a, a teaching, off of a, of a link, off of a podcast. Most things you learn that are life-changing are as much caught as they are taught. You've got to be in the room. And what I want to encourage you is who are you bringing in that room with you? Now, Jesus had a purpose for why he invested in them. And it was very simple that he might send them. Listen again, his purpose 
in spending time with people, investing time with people, if you will, was so that he could send them. In Mark 3, 14, again, it says he ordained the 12 that they should be with him. Now listen, so that he might send them forth to preach. Luke 6, 13, when it was the day, he called it to his disciples and of them, he chose 12 and he also named them apostles. The word apostles means sent one. Jesus, when he selected them, said, I'm training you to be sent. It was very, very intentional. So Jesus called people to be with him. He invested intentionally his time with them so that he could send them forth. That's a critical thing to gather. Remember last month when we talked about how, how he invested his time and influence, we saw that he spent the least amount of time with the multitude. He spent more time with 72. He spent more time with nine of the 12, a great deal more. And then three of that 12, he spent an inordinate amount of time. If we don't understand that principle of narrowing down who you spend time with as a leader, you're going to try to shepherd the flock by shepherding every one of the sheep instead of being able to shepherd those who will be able through their gifts, their calling, their grace, their talent, the anointing God has placed on their life to be able to serve people alongside you and under, if you will, the calling of the church or the organization that you belong to or that you lead or that you serve within. So it's very important. Here's, here's a process question. Am I investing my time in the few in order to define their role, equip them, and then release them? Let me say that again. And this is very simple to answer this question. Take out your calendar and go back. And I've talked to people and they say, well, I don't really keep a calendar. Then I don't, I don't even know how you do that. You can't be intentional without planning. And the gift of an iPhone to me, and I'm so grateful for iPhones, I got to tell you that because I am the least detailed person on planet Earth, but it's helped me to be able to structure things so easily in my life. But go back over the last 12 months. And if you don't have specific times where you are narrowing your focus to the few, then you are never going to be a multiplier. You're going to get worn out. If all of your time is in counseling appointments with this problem, that marriage problem, this person has this question. Oh, this person wants to know this about the church. That person's in the hospital. I need to go to the hospital. Now, I'm not suggesting as a pastor, you don't go to the hospital. I am suggesting that you shouldn't be at a hospital unless it's an emergency. Regardless of the size of your church, there are people in your church that can be equipped to go and to serve people in that capacity, to pray for them and to lift, with, uh, lift them up and to truly, uh, truly pour their lives into them. There are people right now, right now in your church that desire to do that. So how am I going to get all those people trained? I'm going to tell you how. You're going to invest in the few. What does that mean? I'm going to pray and find just one person that really seems to have this heart and then I'm going to say, I'm going to take you on every hospital visit I do. And I'm going to work around your schedule the best I can. And I want to take you to some of my emergency calls that when you show up, you just have to be led by God because it is chaos. And you are there to bring order. And you take them with you. 
And then you take them with you and they watch you and you take them with you and they watch you and you take them with you and they, and, and they watch you and you begin to debrief and you talk about it. Then the next time you go, you give them part of the responsibility and then you give them more and then you keep going with them and they do it and you add a little value to it. And now they're ready and now their task is to go find five other people they can do that with. And before long, within a year to 18 months, you will have five to seven people trained in your church with your heart to go to hospital visits so that when there is a three in the morning phone call that you need to show up. And I don't care if your church has 20 people or 20,000. There are sometimes the lead pastor, you need to be there. Now you have the space to do it because you are investing your time in the few. And why? Remember, to define their role, to equip them, but then to send them. I, I don't know how to emphasize if it doesn't result in them taking significant ownership of a part of the ministry, you're really not discipling a person because you disciple them to an outcome, not just to information. Now, here's the fourth thing that Jesus did as a primary practice to multiply the kingdom. So remember, we discovered what did Jesus do first? That was the first thing. Secondly, how Jesus invested his time, where he distributed it, to what groups. Thirdly, why he did it. Why did he spend time with people? He did so to, 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 to be with them, so he could impart and train them, so that he could send them. But here's one of the most important things that Jesus did that pastors rarely do. This is so important. Jesus delegated authority, not tasks. Let me say that again. Jesus delegated authority, not tasks. In Luke 9, verse 1 through 2, it says this, Then he, Jesus, called his 12 disciples together and gave them power or authority over demons and to cure diseases. Now listen, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. When he sent out the 72, he did the same thing with them. You remember they came back and said, Lord, the, the demons are subject to us in your name. What does that tell you? Beyond the amazing part of that theology, Jesus wasn't there when it happened. He sent them out as raw as they were, but he gave them authority. And we know his team made some crazy decisions, right? We know they made sometimes horrible choices. Just aren't you glad the Bible shows you the real life of people, right? But I want you to understand, he sent them. That means he didn't go with them at this point. Imagine, 72 are out there, and they're 72 broken into pairs, and then the 12 are out there. And Jesus, listen now, wasn't with them. They were doing ministry, listen now, in the absence of the presence of Jesus. Leaders, listen to this please. Leaders who have a God-given capacity to do like I just aforementioned about a person who has a desire to serve people that are sick in the hospital and minister to their families, that the person who can do the visit is not what you're looking for. It's the one who desires to build a team that will do it. And I'm telling you sincerely, you can have a church of 80 people, and I promise you there's someone there that can do this. Well, our church won't like it if I don't come. Well, I guess you're going to have to decide whether you're going to serve and follow Jesus or the desire and will of people. 
because you're not going to serve people and multiply the kingdom, building the kingdom in an unbiblical and ungodly way. What do you mean ungodly? Ungodlike. For you to do ministry that should be done in the hands of others is ungodly. What, you mean sinful? No, no. Ungodly in that it's not Christ-like. We all say we want to be Christ-like, but do we? This is a simple question. Do I have what I would consider walk-away people? Or do I have task-driven people in my key leadership positions in my church? Do I have people that can, can be given a picture and then go execute it? Or do I have people that if you tell them what to do, they, they can do it? And there are many people that that's their gifting. But they shouldn't be your leader. Jesus, remember this. I, I, do, I wish there, there was language for me to emphasize this properly. Jesus delegated authority, not tasks. The average church, if you were to go to every member of that church and ask them the weight of what they do in the kingdom, most people would tell you it's not that big of a deal. Well, I mean, you know, anyone can do this. We just need a body. But when people begin to take their place as it pleases him and that he set them in the body, there's a supernatural grace on their life. But instead of you trying to find every body part and every member, you find the key leaders. Remember, practice the ministry of Jesus. It's amazing how he actually lived his life. So remember, he called them, he gave them authority, and then he sent them. It is not complete until they're functioning, listen now, independently of you. That doesn't mean you don't oversee them. It doesn't mean you don't uh, pull them back in and, and have times of reflection and coaching. It doesn't mean, but that's where you should be spending your time. Certainly, you don't send them out and forget about it. But you set your calendar to send them as Jesus did. What did they do when the 72 came back? He said, Lord, can you believe this? And he had a discussion about it. That's the practices of Jesus. Look at your calendar. How many high-capacity people have you sent out and they're doing something significant and of a high responsibility in your church, whether a staff person or, or a key volunteer, that they came back to you with questions and you helped coach them? If you're not doing that as a pastor, you're the lid. If you're not doing that as a pastor, you will never grow beyond where you are sustainably. Let me say that word one last time, sustainably. Because you are not the body of Christ, nor am I. I'm just a part of it. Every time, I hope you can hear my heart when I say this. Every time I do something designed for another part of, of the body of Christ, I have stepped into perhaps the greatest form of pride that exists in Scripture. I have now determined that I can go to a place in the body the head of the church hasn't sent me, and I can thrive. It's an absolute deception. And it's an act of pride, no matter if I think it's generated or motivated, but somebody has to do it. So remember, Jesus delegated authority, not task. Most dream team efforts in churches, <clears throat> by dream team, I mean volunteers, your uh, ministry of helps, whatever you call it. Most, when you look at the totality of what you need for a weekend, Everywhere from the greeters to ushers to your, your children's ministry, your student ministries, your nursery, if you have a cafe, uh, fill in the blank, your worship. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that goes on on the weekend, parking lots, whatever. 
Most dream team efforts in churches set goals to the full multiple, or if you will, the multitude you need to pull it off. They're thinking, okay, we need, and let's just say 62 people to pull off the weekend. And we know that out of the 62 that are committed, we know that at least historically 10 of them don't show up. So we need 72 every weekend. So the pastor goes about focusing, getting 72 people. You're done before you start because you'll never do it. And it's one of the reasons you can't grow a church if that's what you're doing, because it's impossible to maintain that. It's impossible to maintain that. Most dream team recruiting efforts set goals to that big number. Rarely do they set it to the 72, that next level leader. Rarely, even more so, do they set it to the, to, to the nine of the 12. And almost never, almost never does, have I seen pastors set it to the three and then let the three build the nine who build the 72, who build the leaders that you need. And the 72 is referring back to the 72 that Jesus sent out. Jesus delegated authority, not task. Like Jesus, empower and equip the right people to be multipliers, to discover and develop their gifts so that you could send them to use their gifts for the kingdom of God. This is such an enlightening way of practicing ministry if we'll really be humble and, and evaluate how we do ministry. When people ask me, and they do over and over again, and, and, I, and I say this with, with my heart open to you, I've had more people than I can count say, you must be so busy. And no, I'm not. I'm not. A pastor who's violating the practices of Jesus is 10 times more busy than I am. So well then, how does something of the size and magnitude of an organization of victory function? It functions with these principles. And I'm very narrow. And the longer I've done this, the more narrowly I spend my time. Now, like you, I have constant demands. I probably have five to 10 people every weekend say, can I meet with you personally? And my answer is no. However, there's someone you can meet with and I'm available. If the person you're meeting with and the person that would help them, if they need my help, I am available to every one of them. Well, I don't want to come to the church if I can't talk to the pastor. Well, you're talking to him now, but this is the way we serve people here. And I don't go into the scripture. Well, I'm not coming here. Well, I, that's your choice, but I'm not going to undo the ministry of Jesus because somebody has a problem and they want me to fix it in an unbiblical way. And you shouldn't either. Here's the process questions. Have Go backwards now. Have I delegated tasks or authority? Have I delegated tasks or authority? Can those I've entrusted in key roles, listen to this, attract and develop leaders? Can those I've entrusted to key roles, whether staff or, or volunteer, can they attract and develop leaders? If you have task-driven people, it isn't that you can't trust them with authority. They're not gifted to multiply. And as long as you have that task-driven person and not a multiplier, if you're not hearing God's heart and cultivating that, as we talked about, intentionally, it's going to cost you. Here's a question I ask for every leader on my staff. Every leader that's a volunteer leader of any department, can they execute vision without me? 
Can they execute the vision without me? Can they solve problems? You want to know when you have task-driven people? Is when they create more problems as the leader than they solve. Because they're not, they're not, they, they don't think people first. They think task first. And the easiest way to evaluate a leader is can they execute it in your absence? Can they make decisions? Can they solve problems? Do they understand the big picture? My job is to keep them with the parameters of the vision and to be clear and precise and concise about, hey, this is what we're shooting for. This is the direction. This is what we want this ministry to achieve. And here's how you're going to do it. If you're going to lead this, you've got to build five, six, seven, whatever the number is, leaders under you. Then those leaders have to be committed to building two under them. Do you think you can do that? And you're going to find out very quickly when people are not gifted to do it. But we don't even ask the question, let alone expect the result. I encourage you, delegate authority, not task. Here's the last one, and it's pretty quick. Jesus ended his mission committed to his leadership methods. The fifth practice of Jesus. He ended his mission committed to his leadership methods. I want you to understand Jesus started with those 12, and he only ended with 11. There are two scriptural references, one in Luke and one in Mark 16. When you read the Luke um, uh, account, it says right prior to when this is when Jesus was going to be ascended. It talks about their, him going back and being with the 11 and there were others. And then he, he ascended into heaven. Mark chapter 16 gives us even more detail. And it tells us that after the men came back from, from the, the experience on the road to Emmaus, when they came back, that Jesus in, in Mark 16, let me read it to you because it's very important. After that, Jesus appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. That's the road to Emmaus experience. And they went and told it to the rest, but they didn't believe them either. Later, he, Jesus, appeared to the 11. Now there's only 11 here. As they sat at the table and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, I want you to listen. The great commission is given to 11 people. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved and, the, and he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those that believe in my name. That's authority translated or, or given. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, the eleven, he was received up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. Now, why is this important? This may be the part that would give you the greatest confidence to follow the practices of Jesus. I want you to remember Jesus left the Great Commission and the entire mission that he gave his life for, that he died, buried, rose from the dead, conquered death in the hands of 11 men. There weren't thousands there. There weren't hundreds there. He ascended with 11 people watching him. And here's, here's the bigger picture. Jesus required them to start their mission with the same principle that he started his. It wasn't just a few short laters. The Bible speaks of these men and their influence and the people they influenced that these men that have turned the world upside down, have come here also. I want you to get that Jesus ended his mission, committed to this leadership method. Not only his ministry, but the church began with Jesus 
he literally started with 12 and he only had 11 left. We all know the Judas story, right? And he left in the hands of 11 people the ability to shake the world if they would do ministry the way he did. So I want to encourage you, simple process question. Am I following Jesus or have I determined that my way is better? I've had to answer that question very often and often I find myself wanting. My prayer for you is along with me that we would humble ourselves and realize that if we don't follow the ministry practices of Jesus, then we should have no expectation of doing ministry in a manner that multiplies the kingdom of God. I hope these two months have been helpful to you and I hope you'll reflect on what you have done and and then build your your, your calendar, if you will, toward these practices. And I'll I'll leave you with the words that Maxwell said. And it's, boy, what what a great statement. Effort must be stored up before it shows up. Don't weary in well-doing. Please, there's a compounding impact of obedience when you follow Jesus. And when it shows up, it's a multiplier. I'm praying for you. I look forward to being with you next month. Please send this and share it to those who you think this may help. Leave a review. It would mean a lot to me. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks again for tuning in to the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to rate, review, and share this podcast on iTunes. It's a great way to get the word out and to help others grow as leaders. We'll see you back here next time for another episode of the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast.